This past week, we laid to rest uh, Janet's sister's husband. Ron was in the reserves, and there was a 21-gun salute. There was a ceremony of the folding of the flag by two veterans, along with the presentation of the flag to Mary, Janet's sister. And every time I see that presentation, I just find it one of the most moving things to experience. I've done numerous funerals out at the Veterans um, Cemetery in South Springfield. And when they do that, it's just, I just find it extremely moving. It, it honors those who have served our country. And it reminds us what we enjoy here in our country is on the backs of men and women who have served and have counted um, the cost. And that's been for what, two and a half centuries? There are men and women in our congregation who have served and we offer our great gratitude because of that. It doesn't make our country perfect. We know that we live in a complicated, even sordid past in our country. Uh, but there remains a devotion on the part of those who serve. And I find that inspiring. And our hearts soar when we look at movies like this. It could be Saving Private Ryan, The Patriot, Gettysburg. We just find such valor inspiring. And you know, the Bible speaks of valor and courage and sacrifice in the passage that I ask you to turn to, Hebrews 11. And there we see various exploits, exploits of faith by normal people. And God did extraordinary things. Why? Because they had devotion to him and to his kingdom. We read in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. There is a greater city that demands a greater sacrifice, a higher calling, a more passionate devotion than even for one's country. Now, some who have served our country may find this to be a slight, and that is not what the writers of the Bible mean. This passage serves as a comparison from things that are really meaningful to things that are most meaningful. And we see the preeminence of service to Christ. Jesus made similar comparisons in Luke 9.60. And Jesus said to him, leaving the dead to bury their own dead, 
but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Is he saying that a funeral is a bad thing? Of course not. Matthew 10, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Is he saying family is a bad thing? Of course not. His point is in comparison to good things versus devotion to Christ. If it came down to choosing a family or Christ, we choose Christ. Christ is always preeminent. Hopefully you don't have to make that choice. Some families force you to make that choice. Our love for country is subservient to Christ. No commitment, no pledge, no service is to take precedence over our service to Christ. We serve a better country. There's a growing number of people who find this military motif in the scripture to be off-putting, violent. I don't. I think the Bible uses it because it is a good comparison. We're to consider how when the Bible uses words like war and soldier, it depicts our life in Christ. 37 times we see this word soldier used in the New Testament. Most of the time it refers to a specific soldier like Roman soldier interacting with Jesus or the disciples. But it also is used to depict the saints and how they are to operate in the Christian life. Philippians 2.25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Notice, fellow soldier. Philemon 2, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. So the Bible draws some experiences about warfare and soldiering in order to communicate aspects of our Christian life. For instance, in 2 Peter 2, it says, share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So here Paul draws on the sacrifices of a soldier in leaving behind his family, giving up comfort, putting himself in harm's way, enduring hardship for the sake of Christ. That's a hard sell. I mean, when you look at the best-selling books, the top 10 Christian books, you'll usually find things like, you know, um, Pathway to Serenity, Overcoming Your Fears, How to Have a Healthy Marriage, blah, blah, blah. Nothing wrong with those things, but in comparison to the Christian life, we need a soldier motif to remind us that we are serving a preeminent authority, a preeminent cause, and therefore sacrifice is fitting. Verse 4 of this passage lets us know that many pursuits 
can get in the way of a singular purpose of serving Christ. Probably wouldn't be a cool thing for a soldier on the front lines to be on his cell phone. That wouldn't be a good thing. A soldier can't worry when he's on the front lines about his stock options or whether he's mowed the lawn on his homeland. He has to be focused about what is going on on the battlefield. He has concern for who's on his right and his left. There are responsibilities he has to fulfill. And what a great compliment it is that at the end of our life, we can hear that we have faithfully executed our responsibilities to Christ, our commander, as a disciple, as a soldier. That we willingly sacrificed. That would be great to hear. When it comes to our commitment to our chief commander, the head of the church, Jesus, you could say there are submitters, there are quitters, and there are sitters. The quitters can get easily hurt. They find it way too uncomfortable and decide serving Christ is just not worth it. It's, it's too much. Others are sitting. They like watching from the stands. Never really coming upon the right time or the right feeling for serving or sacrificing. Paul said to Timothy, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He's a submitter. We're not serving ourselves. We are serving our highest authority. A blowhard Air Force major was promoted to colonel, got a new office. The first morning he was in his new office, an airman knocked on the door and asked to speak to him. The colonel, feeling the urge to impress the young airman, picked up his phone and he began talking. Yes, General. Thank you. Yes, I will pass the information along to the president this afternoon. Yes. Goodbye, sir. Then turning to the airman, he barked. And what do you want? Nothing important, sir, said the airman. I just came to hook up your telephone. Some people have authority, and some have imagined authority. They pretend to have authority. Some people have authority, and some are a wannabe authoritarian. Some people have to grab at power or an agenda. They won't listen, and when they don't get their way, they act like a child. One thing about those who love authority, they have a hard time listening they have a hard time doing what they're asked. Our ultimate commander-in-chief is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as his disciples, our primary task is to listen to him and to follow his orders, to obey him. Ephesians 1.22 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Christ is the head of the church. It's incumbent upon us to listen to him. One afternoon, author 
Patsy Claremont found herself on an airplane sitting next to a young man, and she writes this. I had already observed something about this young man when I was being seated. He called me ma'am. At the time, I thought either he thinks I'm ancient, or he's from the South, where they teach manners, or he's in the service. I decided the latter was the most likely, so I asked, you in the service? Yes, ma'am, I am. What branch? Marines. Hey, Marine, where are you coming from? Operation Desert Storm, ma'am. No kidding. Desert Storm, how long were you there, I asked. A year and a half. I'm on my way home. My family will be at the airport. I then commented that he must have thought about returning to his family and home many times while he was in the Middle East. Oh, no, ma'am, he replied. We were taught never to think of what might never be, but to be fully available where we were. End quote. His aim was to please the one who enlisted him. Many people want to wear the uniform of Christian, but they flippantly refuse to obey clear commands. For instance, they walk in unforgiveness with family members. They're in a relationship that clearly crosses a line against God's instruction. They're maybe in a business deal where they know they're lying. A good soldier wouldn't dream of disobeying an order. You learn that in boot camp. Humanly speaking, no amount of persuasion or me up here cajoling an individual will cause a person to be submissive to a leader long-term, the leader being Jesus. In this regard, consider the priority of worship. You see, as we worship, it's kind of like taking a dance with someone we love, and as you gaze into their eyes of that person, your desire is focused, it's passionate. Worship is kind of like a, a dance with God. Worship sets our heart aright. Worship fixes our gaze. Worship helps us shake the lust of the world's pleasure and allows us to enter into intimacy with the lover of our souls. You see, if deep down you don't want to please him, I would doubt that you have ever worshipped him, truly. If you don't want to obey him, I doubt whether your heart's passions have ever been set aright with him. Worship is so important. Dear God, set our worship aright. May it be acceptable. May we submit to you. May we be devoted in our mission. May we sacrifice whenever you ask. William Seward served as a governor, senator, and a secretary of state to Abraham Lincoln. He was a staunch abolitionist, and early in his career as a lawyer defended a black man accused of killing a wealthy white family. No one, I mean no one, 
wanted to defend this man who was deemed mentally insane. A team of rivals by Doris Kearns Goodwin, we read. And by the way, there might be some language later that you realize this was from the 1800s, so remember that. When the trial opened, no, liar, no lawyer was willing to take Freeman's case. The citizens of Auburn had threatened violence against any member of the bar who dared to defend the cold-blooded murderer. When the court asked, will anyone defend this man? A death-like stillness pervaded the crowded room until Seward rose. With his voice strong with emotion, he said, may it please the court, I shall remain counsel for the prisoner until his death. And Seward was roundly criticized. There was never any doubt that the local jury would return a guilty verdict. In due time, gentlemen of the jury, Seward concluded, when I shall have paid the debt of nature, my remains will rest here in your midst with those of my kindred and neighbors. It is very possible they may be unhonored, neglected, spurned, but perhaps years hence, when the passion and excitement which now agitate this community shall have passed away, some wandering stranger, some lone exile, some Indian, some Negro may erect over them a humble stone, and there on this epitaph, he was faithful. More than a century afterwards, visitors to Seward's grave at the Fort Hill Cemetery in Auburn would find those very words engraved on his tombstone. He was faithful. He ultimately knew who his authority was. When we have our attention on our commander, it changes everything. It changes how we live. It changes how we conduct the spiritual life. It changes the weapons we use. In 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war against, according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Our power does not come from human ingenuity or intelligence or feats of strength. The tools of the kingdom are like the life of Jesus. He didn't utilize the more powerful people, the richest. That was not his main game. Instead, what he did, in fact, remember, the religious elite did not like it and did not like him. He spent time with the dirty tax collectors, with those of ill repute, men and women, including prostitutes, the down and outs. The way of the kingdom is to love those who are forgotten, the sick, the homeless, the needy. And by the way, come this fall, we'll have another opportunity to come alongside one of the neediest schools here in Springfield and to help them out. I'll give you more details of that in the future, but I'm super excited about this opportunity that we'll be working with a couple other churches to do that. The way of the world is to use external means of power and success. 
Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's easy to get caught up in signs of status in our culture. But the good soldier, he's prepared with the old-fashioned spiritual disciplines of, of prayer and the word of God and obedience. To all those soldiers who meet here every week, praying, those men and women, thank you. That's a real soldiering. And you can do it at home as well. Pray for CCC that we'll do our best work for the kingdom here in the days ahead. The soldier not only prays, but he has another tool in the kingdom. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith with a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. The prophecies, the faith, these speak of handling the truth, rejecting the authority of the word of God, refusing to obey the Lord, mishandling the word. These are ways to shipwreck our faith. In other words, the good soldier knows his most important weapon is knowing the truth of God and aligning his thoughts and his life after it. Now, hear what I'm saying. The faithful soldier is not being commended for knowledge of the word or just taking the right positions or doctrinal stance. He's being commended in how he wields the truth in spiritual battle. Truth applied on the spiritual battlefield. How you do business, how you treat people, how you speak to people. It makes a difference in how we live. The battlefield is the life and the fruits. It's, a, it's good conscience, love, faith, hope, qualities that employ right relationships with God and others. Listen, it's wonderful to hear the testimonies of loved ones at a funeral. We just heard it this week. Now, it wasn't in Ron's case, but in some funerals I've been to, you might get the impression that when you hear some folks talk about the person laying in the casket, you're like, well, that's not the guy I knew, <laughs> right? They lionize that person. They mythologize that person. And it's really not an accurate picture of who the person was. But sometimes you get an honest appraisal, and it's very heartwarming. But listen, in the end, it really doesn't matter what other people say about us. In the end, there's only one estimation. And that estimation is to dictate the direction of our hearts, the passion of our hearts, our life. Because we want to hear those words at the end of our life. And you know them. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not just those words, but who they are from. Our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. When all is said and done, that will be what we live for.
life, not of perfection, but a trajectory of obedience, service, sacrifice for him. I love Memorial Day, and may this Memorial Day cause us to be thankful for those who have served, but may it also help us to put attention upon our supreme commander. Let's pray.